Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. Sometimes our most valuable work is done when we review that which we think we know for sure, so that we don't take our fundamental operating principles and definitions for granted. So to start off this new year, we have a short but potentially really important conversation on one of the most fundamental concepts in our work, risk. What is it, fundamentally, and what are we doing to assess and use risk that is worthwhile instead of wasteful. So let's jump in. A dear friend, Tom, out in Ohio, a bunch of years ago, uh, he is an investment person on the board of the archdiocese of, of some area, some region. And there was a group, a money management group that was coming in to present like three year results. And it was a third year in a row that the group was presenting like risk adjusted you know, factors to show this group of clergy why the numbers weren't bad. And he was in the meeting just like boiling because he hated when investment people and marketing types would, you know, use this in this way and that way. And, and the risk adjusted this, risk adjusted that. And he was just seeing that this group had flat out underperformed. So instead of saying that directly, he turned to uh, one of the nuns and said, Mary, how do you think of risk or what is risk? And she stopped, she thought, and she said, risk is crossing the street without looking both ways. And that resonated with Tom and then me. And I'm sure the people at the front of the room were like, I'm not sure where this is going, but this isn't good. (laughs) I can just see their faces (laughs) like, where is this going? But when I heard that, I was thinking about, I took that metaphor the next day and I started writing when we're a first like inexperienced analyst in our industry and we're thinking about Mary's metaphor of like crossing the road without looking both ways, I took it and said, you know, even if your intention is to to understand the risk or the danger, let's say, and you look both ways, when you're inexperienced, it's like you're looking both ways to cross the street, but you can't see cars. You can only, cars are invisible to you. You can see bikes and mopeds. And then maybe by your third year, you can see bikes and mopeds and tanks and pedestrians. And then, and in that process, part of teamwork is that different people see different things. Across time, hopefully you see more of a situation, but we never see the whole view as we understand because our worldviews dominate. But and teamwork can come in where so a younger analyst might ask an older analyst, hey, are there any cars coming down this road? I don't want to get hit. <laughs> um, but that metaphor of what we're doing from a, an analytical standpoint is building our skills to be able to see what's actually coming down the road both ways before we make a decision to invest in a company. And so I keep using that as a thought process of enhancing our skills as analysts when I first think of what is risk. A different way of looking at risk is, and how I think and define risk is it is a misalignment 
of fear and danger. Um, this is not the traditional way that risk is used, and I'll come back to that in a second, but fear and danger. Fear is something that's in my head. Danger is a, uh, a dynamic, but a real world set of possibilities and probabilities. There's two different things. So when my mind is misaligned on my fear level versus what the danger is in a situation, then I have a problem. I, all of a sudden I'm experiencing risk. That's not how things are normally used in our industry. Hmm. It would be using that, but really over-designing systems to cater to fear as opposed to catering to danger. So yeah, I'll give an example. So if I'm in Utah, a few years ago, I almost got bit by a rattlesnake uh, hiking in Utah. And I was completely oblivious to that possibility. And I literally almost stepped on a rattlesnake. It went right under my foot. Since then, I've been terrified about hiking in Utah. Maybe appropriately so. Um, so with that sense of there's a danger, then I could take steps. I could take risk reducing danger so that my action accommodated my fear and the actual real world danger. I might hike with a guide or I might hike at a certain point in the season or I might take venom reducing anti-venom anti right. anti or I could wear large boots or I could something and still mm -hmm. enjoy the, the hike. And it, no, I'd also know when it's just like, it's just a bad idea to hike because there's thousands of rattlesnakes. So I, I could adjust. If I'm back in Pleasantville, New York, as I am today, and my fear led me to believe that there could be a rattlesnake in this office, that would be in a misappropriation of action relative to this fear, um, fear danger paradigm. However, you could set up a process so that everyone is checked at the door to make sure that they don't have, are not bringing in rattlesnakes. You could have a quarterly meeting to survey the office and make sure there are no rattlesnakes. There are so many things that could pop up and take a lot of time and resources for this misaligned uh, fear. Yes. I think, I think the bigger issue, and we've talked about this in other sense, like type two air avoidance is about, I'm going to do anything I can to reduce the risk of missing something. So mm -hmm. I'm going to read tons of notes from analysts who I don't really think highly of just to make sure I didn't miss something. I'm going to be on the call. I'm gonna, and now all of a sudden your time is set. Now, if we had those same set of ideas when I'm about to hike in Utah in the middle of summer on a super hot day on rattlesnake trail, that might be a really, really good idea. So when I think about risk, I think about when fear and danger are misaligned. Now that could be someone doing sloppy valuation work, but it also could be that you're missing opportunities because your value discipline doesn't allow you to participate in Amazon, Apple, Netflix. That could be a inappropriate risk mechanism that suppresses actual positive results. So risk isn't something just about avoiding the bad outcomes at all costs. It's getting an, a sense of alignment of fear and danger. And I, I think it's helpful to note it's dynamic. There are broad categories of risk that we talk about, operational risk, geographic risk, compliance risk, and we're adding them every day. ESG brings new potential um, circumstances that could be put under the category of risk, um, as do things like um, ransomware. 
So we have all these ways that we're trying to quantify and put risk in quotes in buckets, but it's still, there's no distinction between fear and danger. And then talk about how this comes together in a day-to-day process, because the other component is building knowledge, which all those, those buckets of risk that I just talked about, you could build some knowledge around all those things. It may not be time well spent, but as an analyst, you could really deep, you go on a deep dive into compliance risk and to try and have that factor be weighted appropriately in your model um, to, to presume that you could put a number on what the compliance risk is. But that's not, um, that's not where we're going here. We're talking about something different than just building knowledge every day. Yeah, I think, I think there might be a real value if every risk management group was really called fear and danger management, because it would, it would, and that'll never happen. It would wake up people that were trying to figure out the alignment between fear and danger in appropriate ways. What tends to happen in, in early early in careers as, as an analyst is you, you don't really know where the danger is. So you go too far in building knowledge under, you check, you know, you check under all the tables to make sure there's not a rattlesnake. And that's understandable early on. As we go on as analysts, and then we can bring this to companies, as we go on as analysts, we want to spend our time as appropriately as an, and surgically and powerfully. And if you told the uh, clients what you're spending your time on, if they were paying you an hourly fee, which they don't in our industry, but if they were paying you on an hourly basis, they'd say, I don't want you checking under desks in Pleasantville, Pleasantville, New York for rattlesnakes. Like, can't you figure out your system better than to do that? Mm-hmm. One of our friends has this phrase that you want to spend your time sitting under the apple tree and as little time getting to the apple tree, you know, riffing off of Newton. You want to sit under the apple tree so you can get bonked by insights. So across time, analyzing where we're wasting time in the spirit of knowing enough or uh, watching out to check this and check that and like to be almost bulletproof to something bad has an absolute repercussion, A, in terms of our energy level and doing this job in our industry, but also the missed upside of redirecting your energy towards the gnarliest problems that if you advance just a little on them would like provide all this upside. And that, that work exists whether or not the market is in a period of high emotions in which the fear ratchets way up, but the danger may not actually. Just because the market goes down doesn't mean there's new danger necessarily. Um, those problem, that, that emotionality of the marketplace also completely skews that misalignment. We get thrown into new misalignments or you know, maybe just further into misalignment because of what's going on externally in the market. The, the, the further you and I uh, started to be untethered from the core of day-to-day market operations at Lehman Brothers or what have you, or UBS or, you know, as we got untethered and I'd call a friend like, hey, how you doing? And oftentimes I'd hear, oh, these, these markets are crazy. In fact, I'd say probably, you know, that's the experience of us in the industry. The markets are just crazy. Now, the markets are crazy sounds to me like 
there's a lot of danger in the market to use my danger fear. Mm. There's a lot of danger in market and I'm really afraid of it. So I'm going to change my activity to double check everything, triple check everything, et cetera. And people are exhausted, et cetera. And it gets hard to have when your fear level is actually dictated or informed too much by the action of our market, which is generally, this market is crazy. Have you ever seen such volatility? And that becomes a 20 year refrain for your career. Then all of a sudden you're doing things to attend to a fear that you've taken in to make sure, as opposed to um, sitting back and being able to decide what you're gonna work on, what you're not gonna be, oh, the market's doing that. Oh, that's, yeah, okay, got it. I can't see Warren Buffett. And sometimes I try and pretend I'm Warren Buffett. What would Warren Buffett be doing? I can't see him saying to his friends, once in the last 20 years, and I could be totally wrong about this, once in the last 40 years, oh, Bryn, these markets are crazy. I just can't see that. So sometimes we, do we have mechanisms to pull ourselves back out of, or can we get sucked into the craziness of the market such that our fear and the actual ongoing danger of a marketplace are, um, are more aligned? So we don't have the ability to be bulletproof, but we do have the ability to find and identify some misalignments. There's so much upside in that. Where there is risk and where there isn't, it can unveil a whole lot of energy that can be spent otherwise. This is no easy task, but I hope this conversation sparked a few places for you to think through and investigate. Thanks for listening.